I, I really vividly remember this one time of um, sitting on the couch in our uh, old apartment in Manhattan and I had woken up after like 10 hours of sleep. And it was one of these times where it was like, I literally remember thinking like, I can count on like two hands in my whole life, like the amount of times when I woken up like feeling good. This is like a time when I'd felt good after all that sleep. Um, and I was like, how do I get this all the time? And it was just sort of like a, like a pipe dream and just like, wouldn't that be awesome? It has been a crazy few weeks. Thanks to all of you, Winning Streaks is currently sitting at two spots away from a top 10 podcast in Canada. It's so close, I could almost touch it, and I'm going to need as much help as I can to get there. If you have a moment, please head on over to iTunes to subscribe and rate the show so we can break through and keep taking the show to new levels. Now, today's episode is one that I personally needed to record for myself. I was having major sleep issues and insomnia, unable to sleep till five or six in the morning. And even then, it was pretty difficult for me. I realized I really need to fix this issue. So I brought on renowned sleep expert and psychologist, Molly McGoughlin. Molly is the creator of Sleep is Skill, a company that optimizes how people sleep through a unique blend of technology, accountability, and behavioral change. The company was born from scratching her own itch after a lifetime of poor sleeping habits culminated into a mega challenging bout of insomnia for months without end. With a background in psychology and human behavior, she went down the rabbit hole to solve her own sleep disturbances without sleeping aids. Today, she works with hundreds of people to improve their sleep by strengthening their circadian rhythm. She's now spent the past three years traveling the world to test sleep quality in different environments across the globe and sharing what she's discovered. Knowing the difference between a life with sleep and without, she's now dedicated her life to sharing the forgotten skill set of sleep. Molly knows how to win. Let's find out how she does it. Molly McLaughlin, you have no idea just how pumped I am for this episode, and, and I'm really excited to get it started. Oh, I'm excited too, and I'm grateful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And so, so we're, I mean, you're on here uh, today because I, I really want to reach out to you just because of how well you understand this thing called sleep. Mm. And I find that when it comes to health, the easier things to focus on, although they're not always given the attention they deserve, but, um, you know, fitness and food, those are like the two first ones. Sleep, I feel like is the one that's often most neglected certainly in my life, it's the most neglected, which is you know, why I wanted to have this conversation. And so let's just kick it off with the question of the day, which is why is sleep so essential to our lives? Mm, I love how you phrase that because actually um, that sets it up perfectly for one of my fundamental arguments in the area of sleep is that I'm making the argument that out of anything that we're, the, as we venture into health and wellness and kind of taking on um, that area of our lives. Like you said, the perfect um, equivalent of a new year's revolution or, you know, a new thing we're going to take on new goals are often going to the gym, eating right, all, all that stuff. Um, but I do think that it beckons the argument that foundationally sleep should be number one. And in order to fulfill on all those other very important things, it's not belittling the importance of those by any means. Um, but the, the power that sleep has is profound on virtually every area of our lives. It's such a, has an insidious effect 
um, when, when we experience sleep deprivation and then has such a, um, a really powerful ripple effect when we are able to up level and take our sleep to the next level. And I, I really believe that for many of us, particularly in the Western um, societies that we uh, are not even as attuned to what uh, great sleep can feel like day in and day out, just as a mat- matter and facet of uh, the social norms and our environmental norms. Um, so, and we can get more deeply into that, but a couple of the things that get impacted if we're not getting that levels of sleep, just name a few, um, our cardiovascular health, our uh, gut health, our immune system, our cognitive processes, our uh, brain uh, cleansing each night, known as lymphatic drainage, uh, which can, if we're not actually tapping into that, can set us up for what uh, seems to be correlated with heightened rates of neurological um, disorders down the road as it relates to Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia. Um, Also just uh, hormonal imbalances and uh, both from the physiological processing, but also then impacting our psychological experience and, um, you know, levels of anxiety and uh, errors that we're making certainly becomes very important on the road um, in in the air as it relates to all of these different um, industries or ways that people are impacted by sleep deprivation. So the list is really, really endless, but um, just from even... A practical standpoint, just how you feel and your interpersonal communications. Um, uh, there's just, I would be, I would argue that there's not many areas that it does not impact. Yeah. And I've definitely noticed it and we'll get into kind of how off kilter my sleep is uh, later on, but um, let's go back to your journey. I mean, you started exploring, um, you know, the depths of of good sleep and and what it means and all those when you went through bouts of insomnia um, a long time ago, what was that experience like? What point of like what point in your life were you at that time? Um, and then what did that discovery uh, lead you to becoming afterwards? Yeah, uh, so I created sleep as a skill to really solve my own problem, and so there's this is a judgment free zone because for so many years I was doing all the things not to do um, if you're looking to improve and optimize your sleep. And I was very righteous and justified about that. And I was like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I can make my own hours. I'm more of a night owl. Like, this is just me. Uh, And that was sort of a bit of the narrative. Uh, Also not noticing or taking into um, consideration the fact that as I continued to live my life more and more like that and get a little, you know, more extreme by the year, um, you know, at different points, going to bed as the sun is rising type of thing and uh, not correlate or connecting that there would be different times I'd be getting more anxious and more sick, honestly, I'd be getting, you know, just kind of reoccurring, um, you know, kind of run down vibes. Right. And so that's how it had been. Uh, but it did not impact my behavior, uh, until I really hit this period of insomnia that I had not encountered in, in my life. And it was actually on the road while traveling internationally and setting up um, to kind of dip uh, my boyfriend and I, we have online uh, companies. So we're 
you know, going to be dipping our foot in the water of um, testing out this digital nomad life. And it was supposed to be this big, exciting time. And we're going to be taking on the world and traveling and I'm miserable and can't sleep and just stressed to the max each night going to bed. Um, you know, literally it's like the sun would be setting. I would start getting nervous. Like, am I going to sleep? Like, oh my God. Um, and, but really when it reached this tipping point was then when I went to uh, the doctors in Croatia with Google Translate and was like, I can't sleep. Like this had been a bunch of days in a row of this um, and left with their version of Ambien, their, you know, their generic version. And in that moment, it was one of those uh, kind of draw a line in the sand periods in my life of uh, like, okay, I think of myself as a healthy person. I think of myself as someone that's, you know, just personal development and pull yourself out by your bootstraps. You can do it. Blah, blah, blah. And yet in this moment, I feel absolutely powerless and actually really scared and ashamed. Like, am I going to be taking something to do something so basic for when the rest of my life, there's no plan here. I just have this you know, prescription. Uh, so it really, um, upped my commitment to unforeseen heights because it really felt like, okay, I've got to figure out a new way here. And at the time it just, I felt very though empowered, um, disempowered from a place of, okay, but how? So it, uh, really brought about this whole quest to going deeper into understanding sleep, understanding, um, you know, circadian rhythms, chronobiology, which is really the science of time. Um, and what I really discovered was pretty uh, eye-opening for me and life-changing because it really meant that I would need to take behaviors to transform my whole life. Um, and then it also became a thing of why aren't more of us talking about this? Because I certainly didn't know some of the things that I discovered that would make such a profound difference in my, in my sleep, my health, my life, my, you know, just uh, daily state. And so now on the other side of that to have quantifiably the best sleep that I've ever had, you know, because I do a lot of tracking on this topic, uh, it's night and day. It's like a whole new world to know myself as someone that will regularly wake up feeling, uh, in a way that I had never thought possible for myself. Yeah. It's, it's so amazing that, you know, you were able to break it down and ultimately get to the point where you wanted to, um, from a point of, you know, escaping that insomnia to, to now where you are and having those, those sleep habits. And I think sleep habit itself is like an important word an important phrase um, because it really needs to become a regular routine. And I, I'm the biggest, uh, you know, I'm so guilty of that. Like I can still feel kind of the heaviness under my eyes from like going to sleep at last night at like four o'clock. Yes. Um, and so what qualifies as good sleep? Because I think, I think this is important. Um, you know, I've heard some people say that you can, you can, you'll be fine with five hours of sleep. Your eight, eight to nine hours of sleep is the most important. Um, you need your REM sleep, like what qualifies as good, um, you know, healthy sleep so that when I wake up in the morning, I've been, I, you know, I'm energized, I'm ready to go. It's a great question. I haven't had it phrased like that. And that's so perfect. Um, so number one, from the parameters that, uh, we currently put out, cause there's still so much that's not understood about sleep. So I think it's important to asterisk, um, that there's still so much to learn in this area, but, um, our current, 
uh, kind of guidelines are for the average adult to aim to get between seven and nine hours is the kind of running statement. Um, and then, you know, for teenagers more for, um, adults over 65, that might be a little less. And that's kind of what we're working within for those, you know, total sleep duration. However, um, that's one facet of, uh, sleep. That's one metric of the total duration. I've spoken with people that are sleeping, you know, eight, nine hours. And yet when we look under the hood at their actual sleep, it's just, you know, it's, you can't just leave it at that one metric. So it's great that you wanted to go deeper on that. So a couple other things that we can look at um, from a quality perspective include the following. One, um, the consistency of the sleep, the uh, bedtime and the wake time that those are consistently hitting around plus or minus 30 minutes uh, every single night, seven days a week. And that seven days a week is the one that people often um, like uh, forget. And it's actually called social jet lag is kind of the current uh, term for this. It's like we didn't go anywhere, but we have created jet lag for ourselves because of just our behaviors. Um, so, so there's that consistency of the bedtime wake time. Then there's how many, um, how many, how much of the fragmentation did we experience? How many wake ups did we have throughout the night? Um, and to what degree, which is also in alignment with your sleep latency, how hard or how challenging or how long did it take for you to fall asleep? Um, and then in addition to that, we want to look at some other markers. Um, and when we're talking about consumer sleep tech, then there's certain things that we can glean from that. Of course, polysonogram is the gold standard, but in the meantime, from consumer tech, Things like heart rate. How is there an arc throughout your heart rate throughout the night? And are you reaching your lowest resting heart rate midway through the night? Or is it like right before you're waking up? And that's often when people are really dragging um, because it took so long to the body um, for the body to stabilize that heart rate. Um, and so that can be challenging. There's a lot of things that we do behaviorally to affect that. Also your body temperature throughout the night uh, was that more elevated and that can uh, hinder some of our abilities to get uh, solid sleep. Of course, women deal with that every single month. Um, so they have a few extra things to be mindful of because we deal not only just with circadian rhythm, but something known as infradian rhythm. So happening around every 28 days, having this um, cyclical cycle that's happening. And so for during that period when our body temperature is going up, um, that can impact the quality of our sleep. But for men as well, um, noticing the, uh, the trends for yourself with the, that temperature, also respiratory rate. How much are you, uh, having to breathe? How many breaths per minute are you taking throughout the night? Um, and then additionally, it's understanding a series of things as it relates to your sleep. Uh, you know, are you consistently, um, struggling with that ability to maintain that consistency, uh, you know, because we can't quite go into the sleep stages with the current sleep tech. There's some that are getting a little bit better. Um, so Dream is one. It's a headband-based uh, wearable, and it, well, it's on your head. And because it's able to tap in a bit more to your brain waves, we can have a little bit more understanding of the sleep stages. And those sleep stages relate to 
uh, the ideal kind of sleep architecture that we like to see often and kind of a healthy sleeping pattern, which is that deep sleep in the first half of the night and then that REM um, cycling over to a bit more REM in the early morning hours. And throughout that, you're expecting to see the change in your body temperature um, kind of reflect that. And then as you're waking up and you're going into REM um, or you're cycling through REM, that the body temperature is warming up and then you're shifting out of that and you're shifting into cortisol, which kind of suppresses that production of melatonin so that you're not uh, still groggy and like zombie-like in the morning. So those are some of the things that we can look to to see not only just the quantity of our sleep, so the hours, but the quality as it relates to all of those other things that are happening throughout the night. Um, and sometimes, you know, this can be a bit of a cool puzzle to unwrap because there might be, uh, you know, environmental things. So I've had people that have had uh, mold in their space or just really dry air, uh, really hot, you know, just some of those things that once you pinpoint it, it can just make all the difference. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there can be other, you know, things that are lurking or more layered as well. Uh, and often it's not just one thing. It's a combination of a lot of things. For sure. And it does sound like a lot in terms of like, you're talking about again, like, uh, resting heart rate, you're talking about, uh, how many breaths you're talking about circadian circadian rhythm, um, REM sleep, which is, uh, for those who might not know, like very deep sleep where you're like essentially in a dream state, right? That's when you're, when you're in REM, you're dreaming. Yes. Yeah, so rapid eye movement is the kind of acronym just, um, and really was not even spotted that long ago, um, in the uh, 20th century of understanding like, oh, look at that. There's a certain part of our sleep where the eyes are darting all around. They must, it must be watching something. Um, mm. And it's basically us working out our dreams, but we're kind of in this, um, paralysis state so that we can't literally act it out. Right. And if we want to take all of that and let's just say simplify it down to the bare, bare bones, like bare basics, somebody doesn't have an aura ring. They don't have a dreams headband. Or <laughs> yes, whatnot. All the things. Uh -huh. Yeah. All the, all the things. Um, cause sleep technology to my knowledge really only started blowing up within the past, maybe five years, maybe uh, like that's when I started hearing about it. Um, but yeah. on the base level, like what can people start doing now? maybe three things to improve their sleep like tonight. Mm. Yeah. So one about that tech question, you're so right. I mean, um, I had had the Zio back in like 2012 and that was like ahead of its time. It was so cool. Like this headband, but it, you looked like such a weirdo. Um, <laughs> and it just, the poor company went bankrupt because people just weren't in that conversation yet. Um, and at the same time, um, now to your point, really within the last couple of years, particularly since we've made the connection, um, or it seems to be a very clear connection with lymphatic drainage, that clean out process of the brain that happens every night during deep sleep, um, and its connection to Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, neurological issues, um, that it's getting a lot more press and then having even more of a push to bring this tech into the conversation. Uh, but, you know, in alignment with that, what are things that people can do? What can they do, you know, now? Uh, so a couple of things. One, I think it's important to embrace this uh, from to have the context be a, a something that you're stepping into, which is this idea that sleep really is a skill. And I think it's important because 
Uh, many people that will come my way and myself included at the time, my, my label for myself was, Oh, I have sleep anxiety now. Like I'm so stressed. And then if I think about it and then, well, if I'm this person that has sleep anxiety, then I can't, I guess I'm screwed and can't ever sleep again. Um, and putting these labels or, you know, I'm a night owl, I'm a bad sleeper. I'm this, that, and the other. And so for many of us, we've been telling ourselves these stories for so many years if you're operating within that, we have the tendency of, you know, from a, a neurological perspective or the reticular activating system to look for proof that that is the case. And then each day you kind of have those results. Whereas if we're starting from this place that this is a skill set, like any skill, then you just start at, you know, 101 blank slate uh, without those labels and then try on some of these new ways of being. So one, just this idea that, okay, so let's, this is very learnable. There's so much information that's really, I think, fascinating. Uh, let's dive in and learn more. So from that perspective, then we can look at a couple of things. If you get nothing out of this conversation, I would want it to be these two areas um, that impact the strength or weakness of your circadian rhythm. And our circadian rhythm is really governed by two um, external type of cues. And one most important being light and second most important being temperature. And they often work in tandem. And so why would those have been so important? If we look back into history, um, you know, for thousands of years, we were so connected to the rhythms of nature. Uh, and it was only in 2016 that the World Health Organization uh, basically coded us as being spending over 90% of our days inside was the kind of, um, you know, stat that was thrown out there at this point in 2020 and beyond with things like lockdowns, pandemics, I would assume that's even more like a higher number that people are spending inside and why that's important is that, uh, from that place, then we are no longer being, impacted by the rhythms of nature in the same way that we were for all those thousands of years. So previously we'd be sleeping, you know, basically on the ground in some way, shape or form. And every morning the sun would come up. And so the light would act as the first cue to say, to shut off the production of melatonin, switch over to cortisol. And in alignment with that, as the light, uh, you know, comes up in the space or, you know, in, in our environment, then the temperature goes up. So that acts as the second cue. And along with that, our body temperature is not consistent throughout the whole day. Uh, and this thermal regulation becomes a really important element for us to be mindful of because we're having to uh, kind of orchestrate circadian fluctuations because we're inside so much. If we're mm. outside, if we just all, you know, moved outside, then we won't have to think as much about all this. But <laughs> Since we right. still want to kind of have our cake and eat it too and stay inside and watch Netflix and whatever, then we have to kind of um, bring this in more artificially in some ways. Uh, so, so what that looks like is one of the most important things you can do is first thing in the morning, getting outside and getting morning sunlight. And the reason that, that that's is so important is basically in our brain is something known as the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And it's basically our master clock that keeps our whole body on time. Um, and by being on time, like, why is that important? As this, the structure of, you know, so, um, uh, more Eastern medicine will look at kind of this internal clock and they've been talking about the different things, the liver doing certain things, the digestive process doing certain things at different times of the day. 
And there's, they were really on to something big in that the fact that the body likes to be doing particular things at particular times throughout the day because we're diurnal creatures meant to be active during the daylight hours and at rest at night. So in alignment with that, the eyes are directly connected to the suprachiasmatic nucleus and that master clock. So it means that one of the most important things you can do is throw out the sunglasses, which is, you know, I, I love my sunglasses. So that's a big deal for me to say, but <laughs> throw out the sunglasses, getting light into your eyes um, in the morning hours and on your skin as much as possible. Uh, and that uh, goes alignment with uh, vitamin D, which of course is getting a lot of press with uh, COVID. Um, but also it's a necessary element in the creation of melatonin later on in the evening. Because uh, vitamin D is important to be able to then, uh, you know, create the production of serotonin that we need, and serotonin is important for melatonin. So, what happens is when we get the largest shot of sunlight in the morning, around 16 hours later is when we can uh, predict that we'll be getting tired. So, what happens in our modern society is, you know, we might stay inside, we might not wander ourselves on outside until like whatever, one, two, three in the afternoon. And then you're not going to be getting tired until 16 hours after that, you know, big shot of light or some plus or minus around there. So the best thing, if you're looking to move your uh, sleep schedule earlier, you know, the time that you get tired earlier, you want to get light earlier. Uh, and there are cases when people want to do the opposite. So if you're going to be traveling internationally or your shift worker, uh, but either way, you know that that's a dosage and really a, almost a uh, medication, <laughs> if, you, if you will. Uh, and so getting that light big shot in the morning. And then, so you want to be doing that throughout the day, getting that sunlight and then shifting over on the other side of light, of course, is dark. And melatonin is known as the hormone of darkness. So in order to cultivate the proper production of melatonin at the right times, we want to be getting, um, really stepping into becoming more of a uh, dark adapted or dark, um, having a proclivity to darkness more than we have um, certainly in recent years. Uh, and what that would look like is it can be really simple. So for me, it's so dialed in now and my clients would just have it like, okay, autopilot, sun goes down, um, you know, putting on blue blockers, ideally turning out lights. Um, then next ideal is uh, candles. And next ideal, if, if people still won't do that, then uh, red lights or very red hued um, bulbs. And all of the reason for that is that our modern kind of energy efficient bulbs often are outputting too much, um, a, a big ratio of blue to green, uh, which can suppress melatonin production. Is so that right want, after, sorry, just to interrupt, is yeah. that right after like the sun goes down, like the sun goes down and all of a sudden you're putting on candles and, and red light <laughs> or like what's, what's the time frame between sunset and bedtime and what actions do you take in between to get you prepped for bed? Yeah. Great questions. So granted, there's always asterisks in this. Like I have clients that are in Sweden and Alaska and Greenland and stuff and there have certain entire months where, uh, it's all sunlight or it's all darkness. So, you know, uh, assuming that we're not having that kind of extra special conversation, which takes a different kind of approach, mm -hmm. but for the average person, um, kind of in, you know, the central hemisphere, we can say, um, then what we want to look at is 
aligning our activities with sunrise and sunset. So again, as diurnal creatures, we're looking to be as active as possible, get that body temperature up during those daylight hours. And then once the sun sets, we're looking to do as much that will bring the body temperature down and bring that light down. So, so yes, so the practical application, the sun sets, and that's when we're ideally mimicking what the effects would have been. So for me, I'll turn down um, the thermostat because that would mimic how it would have been when the sun would set, um, put on either, you know, candles, red lights, um, you know, or red hues, worst case, if you're super against all those things and maybe like Edison bulbs or incandescent lights, which will tend to have more, um, you know, kind of those like romantic restaurants you go to that have the Edison bulbs, you know, mimic some of that. Um, but either way you're doing that right after. And then if you put on the blue blockers that can help support all the things that we still want to do, because we want to kind of have our cake and eat it too, still have great sleep, but then also, watch, you know, whatever we watch, um, and, you know, go on our, on our phones and all that sort of stuff. Um, so also in alignment with that, that's when we would want to put on, uh, things like Iris tech is a solid one for our laptops. Ideally we wouldn't be using our laptops too much, um, past sunset, but you know, certainly it's, you know, dependent on everyone's goals. And then, um, and then on your phone, if you have the iPhone, there's within hidden within the actual settings of the iPhone um, is uh, color filters that you can put on red lights. So you can easily just Google that. Uh, and then if you have an Android, Twilight is a solid app that will uh, give you the red filter. And so all of those things, it might seem like a bunch of things to do uh, to begin, but once you get it kind of down, then that's just becomes your routine. Um, and then when you feel the difference of, I like to call it being like addicted to feeling good because, uh, it will, it can help pull you to do the, um, partake in some of the behaviors that will yield these higher results with our sleep. Um, and then in alignment with that, we're also looking to impact that temperature that I was speaking to. So light and temperature, other things that will impact temperature beyond like the obvious environmental temperature or a lot of our behaviors. So eating late will really rise our body temperature and that's something we can measure. So we're looking to move um, our scheduling of eating earlier. And I mean, so I do a more aggressive um, version of this and it's uh, known as early time restricted eating. So I'll end my eating, you know, usually like whatever. I actually had my last meal right before this. So right before three. Um, so it's definitely more early, but then another one is called circadian rhythm, intermittent fasting, and it's a little less of an early end, but it's still within sunrise and sunset is when you're eating. And so once the sun sets, then you're kind of like kitchen closed is part of the ideal aim. Uh, zero is a good app that can help support that process where it will geotag you where you are in the world and then help gamify like, Oh, looks like you, you know, ate past sunset, like, you know, three right. times out of this last week type of deal. Um, but all of those things between the light, the dark and the temperature can really help make a difference with the quality of your sleep. And then there are more nuanced things too, um, that we can get into. So of course, Exercise is another one that will obviously raise your body temperature. Uh, so looking to, you know, put that within like two to four hours before bed. So I'm sure that's not going too late. Um, and then you can also look at things, which I think is really interesting, like thought timing. 
and how our thoughts actually um, can be responsible for a rise in body temperature in the evenings. And so we want to start getting the habit going of moving some of those charged thoughts. Like I've had clients that they wouldn't even think about it, um, you know, because they're so close to it. But then when we start kind of parsing out, they would see that they're, you know, they're always talking to their significant other about the kids or whatever, the bills, like right before bed or shortly before. And wouldn't because sometimes you have the blind spot and you don't necessarily see it. And yet once we start kind of removing that variable where now that stuff gets discussed, whatever, and Tuesdays at 10 a.m., then suddenly it kind of cleans the slate to then not go into those, you know, heart raising conversations at the wrong times. It's interesting that you mentioned that because so I, when I don't get sleep, it's, it's for two reasons, I think. So last night, for example, I could not fall asleep for the life of me. Like I was up till like 4 a.m. Um, and it's always a result of overthinking. Like, I, yes. like you, like I'm super passionate about like self-development. I'm super passionate about, you know, this. Uh, I love podcasting. I love my job. Um, and I'm always thinking about different things. I'm like, how I can, how I can prove like, what's another idea. And like, to the point where I'll keep my phone like so close that, or like a journal so close that like I'm up and ready to like journal something or write something down. Um, if like something strikes me and like, I just keep thinking about it, keep thinking about it. I feel like that prevents me that from actually, you know, going to sleep properly. How do you address that with your clients? Um, you know, what do you, what do you recommend in that situation? Such a relatable and great point. Cause it's just by and large. So one of the things I hear again and again, is just like, I can't turn off my brain. Like I just keep thinking it's like a record player and the same things over and over. Um, and one of the things I often share with people that just because I think it's so interesting um, is there's one sleep gadget. It's not to mention the gadget, but just for the fact that this is actually like a studied area um, is that there's actually a gadget that you put it on your head and then the um, front part cools down uh, or, you know, has a cooling process and that it's cooling the prefrontal cortex because in the, um, the kind of research behind it being relating to that when we are in these hyper aroused brain states, so particularly for people, you know, that are, have long standing kind of chronic insomnia, um, or just real difficulties with their sleep, that they tend to have this habitual kind of hyper aroused state happening before bed and that it heats up the brain, which I think is just so crazy to the power of thought. And so that it actually has, you know, real research behind this, um, that, you know, lowering the temperature of the prefrontal cortex can help support then guiding the body into falling asleep. Um, and now do you necessarily need to wear a headband and all this stuff? Maybe not necessarily, but you can certainly think of that from a place of personal responsibility, um, and what is possible for the, and some of the impacts of the way that we think and the timing for our, um, thought patterns. So a lot of what we'll do too, at sleep is a skill is kind of going through, um, I call it the sleep sabotagers list, um, of just some of the kind of a checklist around, uh, many areas of life that, we start to kind of, we give a kind of a self-assessment and uh, see for each person where some of those key areas of their life that are just not working as well as they'd like it to, and that tend to come up 
in that thought process in the evenings. And I like what you're saying too, because you're also, it sounds like pointing to some of that um, kind of positive stress almost like, oh, this idea, that idea, yay. Which, um, you know, even though that's, because it's certainly seemingly for most of us would be preferable to the stress stress, uh, but it's still activating to the body and kind of the opposite of what we want to be encouraging in the evening. Um, So one of the things that we uh, look to do is one, kind of doing what you're talking about, about putting it into taking an action with those items. So whether or not you're putting it into journals, um, I have some clients that have like arthritis and they're older. And so they'll do, and some that don't just will use uh, something called, you know, Otter AI. You're probably familiar with that one, but just, you know, it will automatically, you can speak into the app and then it will transcribe what you're kind of stressing about or thinking about. And particularly for my clients that are single, they really find that helpful because it almost can, rather than you might wake up the person next to you and say what you're stressing about or whatever, if that's not available, then to kind of help expose sometimes the one repetitive nature of our thinking and kind of the, um, out of reality levels of our thinking. Sometimes we tend to go into these, you know, kind of catastrophic thinking process or just, you know, making a bigger, you know, mountains out of like very small things. So we can start to expose uh, those elements. But by and large though, if we start looking at, cause I think some of the failing approaches can be if we're just starting to think about our sleep right when we're going to bed, then often I'll tell people to just like, you know, get comfy, relax, because, you know, you might be up for a while if, if you haven't done some of the things that can help support getting great sleep in the day. And I think that that can actually be a bit freeing because it can feel very disempowering when you're laying in bed because there's not a lot that you can necessarily do to force sleep. So instead we can set up, create the environment and the, the cues that would bring sleep about more naturally. And we can start first thing in the morning. Uh, so by doing that, it kind of shifts the dynamic and puts us in a more empowered space or in the driver's seat of these things that can help strengthen our circadian rhythm and really make this all much more automatic than having to try to make sleep come to us. Mm-hmm. I, I just had the thought and like, as you're talking about, it, I just had the thought, it's almost like the opposite of going to the gym or fitness because that is warm up, workout, cool down. Yes. This is cool down, sleep, warm up, kind of in the morning yes. as you're getting the sun, right? I love that. Uh, I, I think I'm a genius for coming up with that, to be honest. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to copyright that somewhere. Go ahead, write that down. yes. <laughs> trademarked. Thanks. <laughs> even your initials, trademarked. Yes, perfect. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so it, it's just an interesting that, you know, it is, it is a skill, like just from that observation alone, like you can tell it's just you have to switch the steps a little uh, around a little bit. Um, and then getting, getting to the other thing that sleep, I think is just, it's tough part of sleeping is positioning and posture. So mm-hmm. I can't sleep on my side. I can't sleep on my back. Um, it's like, I have to sleep face first in my, into my pillow. Yes. And I'm wondering how important is correct posture for sleep? Um, and you know, how does that, what's the relationship between posture and sleep? I can relate to that. I am a lifelong stomach sleeper and the stomach sleeping is known as like, you know, the do not do like <laughs> alert, alert thing of uh, the sleep world. And, uh, and yet there's a couple, th- a couple different approaches to this one, uh, 
there's a great book called Sleep Interrupted that goes into detail on uh, this is a lot that kind of we can understand about each type of position and what that does kind of anatomically, particularly to our breathing. Um, and then also just from a perspective, so they'll also uh, speak to the fact that when we get into things like car accidents or, you know, injured of some sort or come out of the hospital and we're now suddenly needing to sleep on our back per se, or what have you, depending on what happens and how much sleep can suffer because we are so linked up with having those consistent sleep positions that day after day, you know, month after month, year after year, we're consistently doing and that equals for us the proverbial um, or pathlothian kind of response of, okay, I'm here and now I sleep. So, but there are certainly one, there's the ability to shift our sleep position if it's really not serving us. Um, and two, there's a couple, it, it kind of depends on the person in that what the, what can serve them the most. So what I mean by that is uh, for some people that tend to snore, back sleep, you know, sleeping on your back is going to often not be um, super advisable because then you tend to kind of mouth opens and uh, it's just not the best um, uh, structure for us to be in to sleep. And for sleeping on our side, there might be specific sides that you might want to cultivate. If I have a client that has um, uh, GERD uh, consistently, so like heartburn. And um, so for her, sleeping on her left side is uh, beneficial for that. And um, and then if you're also looking for to help support uh, glymphatic drainage, that uh, thing that we were speaking to, the cleaning out of the brain, then you might want to look at things like elevating the bed um, just a little bit. And that also supports uh, heartburn and GERD and what have you, but elevating the head of the bed a bit to get more of an angle. So there's a lot of things that we can do around the sleep position. The problem with the stomach sleeping, of course, is uh, not only is, you know, cause you have to kind of turn your head and that can obstruct your breathing. Um, and then also just from a, I've had to often shift mine, um, because it will mess up my neck over different times or if I'm traveling and then using different pillows and what have you. So one, you are actually, there it does exist the option to shift your sleep position, but it does take some time and commitment I'll see that for both my uh, snorers that are looking to transform that area. A lot of that will have to do with changing that sleep position. But we also want to get connected to our breath during the night too and see how we can support that either way. So for many people, have them do mouth taping. Not sure if you're familiar with that, but yeah, yeah sure. And then because um, then that can help support breathing through the nose. Uh, in some more extreme cases, then you know you might find that people have uh, either mild, moderate, and severe sleep apnea. And so that's something that we can help support too. And, uh, so there's a number of things that we can do to make a difference, but testing out and seeing, particularly if you have sleep trackers, then you can often get a sense and you want to be smart about the kind of, um, experiments that you're creating. But if you're doing like, you know, say 14 days of side sleeping and see what results you get, does that impact your uh, respiratory rate? Does that change your heart rate? Does that improve your HRV? Things like that. And see, um, but also just like the movement throughout your sleep throughout the night. Uh, you know, I've done all kinds of crazy things with my sleep, like recorded, like time lapse, like, <laughs> you know, just sounds like get, some paranormal activity stuff right yeah. there. <laughs> 
much. That's what that sounds like. My boyfriend is totally well-versed or not even phased by all the weird things I'll do. And at different points, when I'll come in and like looking like a cyborg with different uh, trackers and things to play with this stuff. But um, often it can be like one of the things that's ironic about sleep is that you know, we can bring all these things in, but often it seems to be a more of a subtractive thing where the more we peel away, um, you know, including some of the things that might be kind of uh, crutches for many of us. So like I used to love to have my uh, nighttime, you know, popcorn and wine or whatever and Netflix. And when I started to understand more of what that was doing, it was mismatching cues, um, for my sleep. And when, when I started to see how much it would raise my body temperature, uh, impact the, the ability for me to stay asleep, all of those things, then slowly but surely started kind of removing largely the alcohol at night, um, eating at night, all of those things that can take time because these are just behaviors that we've been doing for so long. But when you get to see the difference, both in the numbers and then just how you feel every day becomes something that you actually want to cultivate. Yeah, I'm realizing more and more just as you talk. And I knew this before. It's just about doing it really is just getting the sleep in check. And, you know, especially you hear from a lot of like, quote unquote, influencers, um, or, you know, real influencers, for example, like Elon Musk, um, you know, Gary Vee, others talk about, you know, the hustle culture and and not sleeping. And, you know, we got to use all the time we can to, to kind of get an edge. Um, and you know, I'm curious, what are your thoughts about that? Like, what are your thoughts about getting work done, especially how much it's emphasized during like our young adult years, um, Mm. versus getting adequate sleep over time? Yeah. So number one, I mean, they're both such great examples and doing such awesome stuff. Actually, um, Gary B was like a couple blocks from our old, um, uh, office and apartment in Manhattan. Um, so I totally, you know, admire, love his kind of outlook on, uh, business and what's possible. And I think all of that is so clearly there. And, you know, one of the things that I've found for sleep is, you know, those two people are, uh, one, I think it's, you can't deny the amount of output that each one of those people are you know having in their, um, in their daily lives. And, what my experience was and many of my clients experience was, was that the way that I was managing my life was not, um, in alignment, the output didn't match. So how that looked would be over time. It was just not sustainable. This idea that I was just like, okay, I can just work 24 seven. And what would unfortunately ended up happening was my ability to be focused and be what I thought, you know, I used to, be so dead set that I am the most creative at night and that's how it is. And, you know, the whole world's quiet and I can get work done and but then I would look back at some of the stuff that I was creating during that time. And this is just, you know, no, (laughs) I, you know, was so run down. And so just, so just squeezing out the levels of productivity. So for me, and many of the people that I'm working with, I think you can really have it all and you can have it all in a place of being, hyperproductive and really outputting more than the average person is doing by then taking on bringing about that discipline. Because for me, for so long, discipline used to just 
be a scary word and think of that as something that, um, I don't know, just was very ordinary or something. And what I've discovered for myself anyway, is that having such now levels of discipline and count onableness um, with this consistent sleep has really created extraordinary opportunities to be able to show up consistently each day and have a knowingness that I can get on, you know, this is like my fifth podcast today and be still ready to go, you know? And whereas the me of a bunch of years ago, that would have been a real coin toss, <laughs> if yeah. that, you know, if that would be available or, and, or would require things that would really be taxing on the body, a tremendous amount of coffee, a real, just sort of, um, a, a, like a tinge to my speaking of a story around, oh, well, I'm really tired and blah, 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 blah. And so a missing of being present and intentional and being able to really deliver, you know, and I think that that shows up for many of us if we consistently live our lives in that way. And I think more and more the science is pointing to that because when you just look purely at uh, tests where people are able to get sufficient sleep or restricted on their sleep and then their aptitude, uh, it's pretty night and day, you know, their ability to fulfill when they have had proper sleep and can do that faster. Um, and also from a safety perspective, you know, the number of car accidents that we see and, you know, dangerous um, kind of, you know, more life or death topics. Uh, it's, you know, just so unequivocal. And I do think the narratives are starting to shift a bit now. Uh, the more and more this research is getting out, the more and more these kind of sleep tech is becoming more of a thing that it, it behooves us to really look at something that has, from an um, evolutionary perspective, has been around for so many years and has still not been evolved out of. So what is there for us to learn with that? Like this, I think, is probably the hardest part of the whole sleep equation is actually waking up, um, you know, slapping the snooze button. I got, I got Google in my room just yesterday, and I have to tell Google every, t every day in the morning, I have to tell stop, like put an alarm <laughs> for half hour later or whatever. Um, so Google, I have nice conversations in the morning, but you know, how do we deal with that wake up process where like, honestly, like even now I'm still feeling it. Like I, on, yeah. like in my, under my eyes, like I still feel kind of tired. Um, but that just that grogginess, that laziness, that icky feeling that you get when you wake up sometimes, is there a way to avoid that? Is there a solution to that problem or how can we get up more energetically? Yeah, I so relate to what you're saying. And that was me for so many years. So I hear you loud and clear. Um, so one, a quick and cheap and easy way can be to immediately pull back the shades and get sunlight. Because again, we've been queued up for so long that sunlight is the signal to the body to suppress that continued kind of flow of melatonin if we're out of alignment with our rhythms. So when I was starting to really heal my sleep, uh, I was doing all kinds of weird things. And one of the things was um, to make sure I got outside. But at the time I had just flown back to New York and it was like freezing. So I'd open up the window and sort of just sit with like wrapped up with a blanket <laughs> and get the sun. That's an interesting picture. <laughs> it's a really interesting picture. I mean, that was, I was like committed and yet had no idea, you know, how long will this take? What do I need to do? But I know this is important. So let me get this done. So now I do a little less weird things and often I'm in more sunny, warm environments too. 
by design because I found that it's really, really helpful for sleep. But um, geographical health is, a, you know, health geography is a cool other area of conversation. But, you know, so one, you can get some benefit to just pulling back those shades. Two, you can also turn up the thermostat because that will be another cue. Some people, if they get really into sleep, um, they might get the chili pad and the chili pad has a warming function. So you can um, press for a warm awake option. Uh, well, that's on the Uller specifically uh, out of the chili company. And um, <laughs> so that can warm you because there's different you know models, yeah. but uh, on that Uller one, it can warm you awake. And, um, and that's how we would have woken up for so many years anyway, because then the sun would have come up and it would have been warming the environment. So that would have been another approach. Um, but finally, what I find for people is it really, if you also have this mindset that, okay, I'm taking this on the same way you might be like, okay, I'm whatever, I'm hiring a trainer, I'm going to start working out, I'm going to start eating right and whatever. If you have that same approach for sleep, there's a couple weeks where it is just challenging. Uh, you know, same way you might give up coffee or, but you know that once you get past that period, then things can start to normalize. And so if you can plan for that period of in alignment, you know, make sure you're not going to drive a lot of places or whatever, but knowing that as you begin to normalize and having that consistent wake up time across the board, seven days a week and see what that life would be like and be mindful in the design of that and choose um, a bedtime wake time that you can really commit to. And that will work in your lifestyle. Um, but then uh, those couple weeks, yes, can be challenging and you can have all that stuff with the alarms and all that. But then if you have the mental fortitude to know that the future that you're living into is one where eventually it won't be so hard and maybe even further down the road than that, you might not even need an alarm. And that's really been, I still think, fascinating for me to be able to experience the fact that I don't ever really have to set an alarm. Like, that's nuts. I strive <laughs> to get I strive to get on that level. Like, that's, it's so important. And like, I feel like relying on alarm, I think feel that's part of the reason why waking up sucks. Like you wake up to alarms. I don't, I don't want to make this out on here, but it's just like, <laughs> it gets annoying. Um, and you know, it's just blaring in your ear and that's how you wake up and you're already kind of grumpy and, and, and feeling, feeling the weight of that noise, uh, in your head versus kind of feeling an, a natural, um, you know, rise up, uh, so to speak. So. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, that definitely is. And if you can, um, you know, just from small little tweaks to, uh, if you can lighten the, as long as you have like a kind of a plan down the road, then in the interim, then you can even bring some lightheartedness to that. You can, you know, change the alarms and make it kind of like funny stuff or whatever, you know, just yeah. to, um, remove some of the gravity for ourselves. Because I think for, so long, um, you know, we have been having this kind of maladaptive sleep behaviors and unfortunately in our bodies, not doing that to be a jerk and trying to, you know, make us feel so groggy and gross, you know, really is asking for something and it's asking for, you know, more sleep and <laughs> better quality of it. Um, and I, I so relate to that. I, I really vividly remember this one time of um, sitting on the couch in our uh, old apartment in Manhattan and I had woken up after like 10 hours of sleep. And it was one of these times where it was like, I literally remember thinking like, I can count on like two hands in my whole life. Like the amount of times when I've woken up, like feeling good. This is like a time when I'd felt good after all that sleep. Yeah. Um, 
And I was like, how do I get this all the time? And it was just sort of like a, like a pipe dream and just like, wouldn't that be awesome? And, you know, but just having this lack of understanding of how in the world I personally could ever do that. Um, and I'm very grateful and now in retrospect at the time when I went through the whole insomnia thing and think there was any silver lining, but now on the other side of it, I think because I tend to be sort of stubborn and take a while to actually make some of the changes that I know I need to make, that it seemingly for me took hitting kind of that rock bottom to really turn my life upside down to set things up powerfully to be this committed around this area. Um, And on the other side of that, then this, the mornings are no longer a thing. Like it's just, and I think that's possible for so many of us um, mm. if we're committed to it. Yeah. I hear you consistently talking about waking up at the same time every day and, and you know, how important that is. And a question I want to ask you, obviously, like, like things change um, all the time. Like sometimes now is, now is a bit different because more people are at home all the time. Yeah. Uh, but when life was normal, um, you know, you might have a dinner party or you might have like a, like a nighttime get together or something like that. Things that keep you up later, keep you up later. Um, do you still recommend people wake up at the same time? Like, let's say I'm going to bed 11 to seven for a week. Um, and then I have a night out where I'm up to like two or three o'clock. Do you still recommend I, I, I wake up at seven, uh, to keep that going and, and take that hit for that night? Or what's the pattern there? Yeah, that's such a great question because I think that that therein lies kind of the key to maintaining consistent sleep. Um, And really what we want to do is begin to connect that maintaining that same wake time. So yes, maintaining that same wake time, even if we're going to bed late and helping to shift in our brains that this is actually serving me um, from a place of this is going to, over the long run, this will ensure that I maintain proper sleep um, allotment and the quality will improve versus sleeping, oh, sorry about that, versus mm-hmm. sleeping so much later and then the quality getting impacted um, because then we're squeezing out more light sleep and, you know, you're still kind of waking up later on those nights often anyway, like feeling like crap. Yeah. So yes, you do want to do that. Now you can have a little bit of a wiggle room, you know, we'll have to say like plus or minus 30 minutes or so. Um, and of course these go out the window if you're actually sick or what have you, because different rules apply, but as much as possible, maintaining kind of that homeostasis. And then, so then that night you'll just, you know, be setting up the day so that you're able to go to sleep at relatively the same length of time. And then the quality, because you kind of be getting sleep, like rebound sleep. And that often is, you know, a rich sleep that you're, um, the body's getting the sleep that it needs that night. Yeah. Uh, no, that's actually really good to hear. I, I think having that consistency helps develop the habit. Um, and like you said, and, and as you keep saying, like sleep is a skill and, um, yes. even though it might be going this way or that way, uh, keeping that consistency is important to, to long-term kind of benefits. Um, and then kind of the last thing in regards to the topic of sleep that I'm super curious about is I find, and I don't know if this is a result of me having bad sleep habits in the first place, but I think a lot of people feel this actually in their day-to-day life, which is you're going throughout your day, blah, blah, blah. You go throughout your work day. I find that typically like maybe right around this time, like I, I end work 5.30-ish, uh, and then I get this like energy crash. And so I might nap. 
how do naps fit into the sleep equation? Are they necessary? Should they be done? How long, you know, what's the nap part of that formula? Yeah, I actually just wrote a newsletter on this topic called the nap paradox, because it can be a bit of a paradox. Um, and what I mean by that is it depends kind of on the person. So part of the general rule of thumb is if you're dealing with uh, difficulty sleeping or particularly insomnia, chronic insomnia, that naps really at that point in your life, most likely are going to do you kind of more harm than good from for that person. Um, reason being is then that can kind of wipe out your adenosine production, which is uh, acts as kind of sleep pressure for the cueing system for the body to know that you are experiencing that sleep pressure. And if that's kind of wiped out, um, then that can be challenging for us to maintain that same uh, sleep onset time at night for those people that are really struggling. So, so barring that group for... Uh, the other group that might be sleeping okay and they're looking to improve, then naps can be a real like viable option. Uh, a couple things with it, usually keeping around the 20 minutes or less time frame seems to be kind of the winning formula for that and earlier on in the day. So not extending, granted it depends on people's sleep schedules, but usually not extending too much past the early afternoon. And some of the benefits of that are pretty impressive with, um, you know, different groups that have been allowed to have a nap and different groups that have not been allowed to have a nap and then testing them. And the groups that have the nap tend to perform much better than the groups without the nap, you know, at certain times of the day and are a little less immune to that kind of a, you know, dip, um, both and a glucose element of things, but also just kind of that mental dip um, or that tiredness dip uh, in the early afternoon. So that can be really helpful. And then if it's earlier on in the day, some people will try, um, you know, even bring in like the calf nap. I'm not sure if you heard of that, but uh, just you know, the, nap. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you're um, because both caffeine and naps um, play a role in that adenosine. Whereas, so naps can wipe out a bit of that adenosine, that sleep pressure, um, whereas coffee can impact a bit of that adenosine. It doesn't actually wipe it out. It's still building that sleep pressure, but it will block the receptors for our brain to actually know that that much sleep pressure is kind of building. So between those two things, um, then when you wake up after 20 minutes, when the you know, you have the coffee a little bit before your nap. And then in, in about, you know, 15, 20 minutes, by the time it gets all into your bloodstream and you've had that nap, you are like doubly ready to go. Um, but just ensure that that's earlier on um, in the day because uh, caffeine can certainly impact our sleep quality later on in the night. And depending on the person, uh, depending on your ability to metabolize that caffeine, it you know, you might be more sensitive and it's actually, um, uh, on 23andMe, you know, you can do kind of some of those tests to see if you're a slow metabolizer or fast metabolizer of caffeine. Um, but even barring that, you know, just knowing that that's kind of just a general rule of thumb for most of us. And certainly even, I know there's those people that'd be like, Oh, I can drink coffee right up until bed and it doesn't bother me. But unequivocally, you hook those people up, uh, you know, with a polysonogram and you'll see the difference. They might not be impacted with the sleep onset, but they'll, the quality of their sleep um, is 
definitely a visible change. So we want to be mindful of those things. But overall, um, for that group that's not having as much of a difficulty as the insomniacs or really more challenged sleep um, group, then those short naps can be helpful. This was incredible. I, I've learned so much and I'm excited to apply all of this. Like really, I think if there's anything that I need to be doing in my life to improve it today, and I think for a lot of people listening, it's the case, like sleep, if you can lock that down, everything else becomes easier. Like even, like I love uh, kind of staying active and staying fit, but I notice like my, my, my sleeping off, even if my calories are low, like sometimes like, uh, like I'll, I'll have not that much weight gained or have a weight gain. And it's part of the equation for sure. Um, which a lot of people don't recognize. So um, this is super great. Where can people find you? Where can they get to interact with you, Molly, and, and learn more about you? Awesome. Well, number one, I so acknowledge you and please keep me posted on your developments with your sleep because nothing makes me happier than hearing about people transforming that area because it's made all the difference for me. So I love, love hearing about that. So great job with uh, that commitment. And uh, as far as hearing more about what we're up to at Sleep is a Skill, um, it, the website really acts as the main bucket for all the things sleep related. So go to sleepisaskill.com and what is there are a couple things. One, um, a downloadable PDF for the optimized um, bedroom. So kind of both high tech and low tech options uh, to improve your kind of sleep environment, uh, as well as signing up for the weekly newsletter. So every Monday I have a newsletter called Molly's Monday Obsessions. That's all the things I'm obsessing about in the world of sleep um, every Monday. And then we have um, a sleep assessment on there. So you get like real live um, you know, responses on your sleep. And then in addition to that, we have the um, online course. Uh, so it's a 60-day sleep reset, essentially, and looking to optimize your sleep. And then the Sleep is a Skill podcast, um, as well as all the social things uh, to follow on, on the topic of sleep as well. Let's jump into the quick win segment of the episode where we explore bite-sized tips, tools, and tricks that will help you find your next win. Molly, what book has been the most impactful for you personally? So funny you said that because I literally was just reading an email where someone was talking about the importance of kind of fine-tuning your most impactful books. Um, and I don't know if this is just because it's top of mind uh, or not, but I would say it's almost cliche in entrepreneurial circles, but four hour work week. I mean, it just, <laughs> it really transformed um, my outlook on what was possible. I read that, you know, back a bunch of years ago and it's part of the reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I always got it handy. Yeah, totally. And it's part of the reason that, you know, so now for the last three plus years being an, um, a digital nomad, I, I don't know that that would have been in my, um, my vision of what I wanted for myself without that book. So big deal on that one. Um, and then, yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many books that have made a big difference on my life, but that one is the most quantifiable and like my day-to-day -day living and minimalism and uh, so much is there. Love that. What is your most valued regular habit? Uh, well, <laughs> of course I'm biased, <laughs> but 
getting great sleep and all the things that go along with that uh, just absolutely are, I think, life-changing for me knowing both how life was when I didn't have those habits um, and then how life is now with cultivating those habits and now the automaticity of that so that I don't have to think too much about those things is a big deal for me too. Like it feels um, more ingrained and it certainly took some time for me to get there. And of course, there's always things that you want to take to the next level and um, improve upon, but getting those foundational elements, you know, so really being connected to my wind down time, bedtime, wake time, and just sort of having all of that work um, in tandem really has made a difference on how ready I am to take on the day. Nice. Yeah. I knew soup was going to be answered, but I love how you yeah, phrased right. it in the sense that <laughs> <laughs> I love how you phrased it in the sense that, you know, the, uh, automation side of it, where now you don't have to think too much to get it done. And, uh, obviously it takes practice to get there. And hopefully, you know, listeners of the show, we're going to be able to put into practice what we, you know, I talked about, um, during this episode and, uh, you know, win that way using those, using those quick wins, um, this is a quick win, quick win segment, but using some of those quick win tips that we talked about um, yes, to ultimately totally. get the sleep that they want. And then finally, what does your morning routine look like? Mm, great question. So uh, it does continue to evolve. I definitely like to ensure that I'm sharing with people um, that we want to have this be like a dynamic, creative experience. And um, particularly with the digital nomad lifestyle, certainly pre-pandemic, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, based on different places, I might have different routines. However, the mainstays are getting outside really first thing, um, uh, after waking up. So, and what that looks like is really waking up, pulling back the, um, you know, kind of drapes of wherever, wherever I am. And just like that flood of light, uh, really just helps kind of, you know, all right, let's do this. And then, um, and then getting outside, my boyfriend and I take morning walks, um, pretty much anywhere we are, uh, every morning. And, and it's great because it just sort of like, we are allowed to have that, um, you know, just kind of that slow, gradual wake up with that sunlight. And it just allows for us to, you know, kind of chat, have some conversations and I'll share with other clients. They'll do similar things, but they might, if they don't have their partner nearby or what have you available, then listening to podcasts or just any way that that walk paired with that morning sun, because is a big element of that circadian entrainment, um, how that can really set the anchoring of our hormones and uh, the arc of cortisol and all those great things that can help make a difference with our sleep. So I really look forward to that part of my morning. Um, and then I usually like to get a little uh, meditation, whether it's using the Muse headband or uh, heart math um, for HRV training. Um, so things of that nature, I am a big fan of. If you could impart one lesson, <laughs> if you could impart one lesson to my listeners that will help them create their next big win, what would that be? Mm. Uh, so I would say that it's really, uh, you know, again, being biased, really taking on this area of sleep for our foundation. So relating to it from a place of um, productivity, any uh, that it fuels any of those big um uh, big dreams or big things or big projects or big approaches to life that we're looking to really cultivate or take on powerfully, um, having that foundation 
ensures the workability or the longitudinal aspect of that, of the succeeding with that. Um, because certainly, you know, my story is that I did not prioritize that area when looking to take on big um, entrepreneurial dreams. And it really just like it, that was that burnout. And uh, right. so now knowing what's possible when we prioritize that, and then also just the um, from a productivity perspective, to be able to know ourselves as having those consistent rhythms, I think can really make a difference with, uh, you know, having the vision and seeing ourselves fulfill on each one of those things that are necessary to make that all those steps happen along the way. And what I mean by that is just the pragmatics of knowing, okay, I know just about every day that, you know, by around, uh, you know, 7.30 a.m. or whatever, I can have my calls with X person or, you know, just the the count onableness of that. Um, while I think the old me might have thought of that as ugh, like how boring to have your consistent wake up time and consistent bedtime. And uh, now on the other side of it, it's like, oh my God, the freedom that comes from that and the ability to um, plan out my days and have a knowingness that I'll reliably be able to show up and be ready to rock with those plans. I think just it's a personal sense of power there. Molly McLaughlin, this is a great episode. Thanks for coming on to the Winning Streaks podcast. I had a great time and I know, know my listeners will get a ton of value from it. They all told me over Instagram they would. So thank you again so much for coming on to the show and uh, look forward to a part two someday. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much. I love your energy and your just enthusiasm and curiosity for, uh, you know, just developing both yourself and the people around you. So thanks for having me um, on the show and for being a part of this. You're the best, Molly. Thank you. Thank you.